Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by Will Schroeder, my friend, the founder and CEO of Startups.com. And we are also joined by a live studio audience scattered all across the world via Zoom today, which will be fun. It adds to the dynamic and you'll, we'll be hearing from everybody at the end. There'll be questions, so stick around for all that fun. It gets us out of just Will and I talking through this endlessly. Will, today we're going to talk about founder ego and how that fits into the journey of a startup, why at some points it's important and how it can become a huge handicap at some point. Um, you know, this is going to be tough for us, I think, given that neither of us have any ego um, and that we <laughs> rarely encounter founders who, who suffer <laughs> who suffer from this challenge. But let's kick it off, man. Where does this begin and why is it a necessary part of the process for founders? I think it's a challenge. Firstly, I think it's a challenge because you have to have a little bit of ego in this game. Right. You know, the little bit of ego is that, hey, I'm going to create something out of nothing. And I think when you, if you don't have that, if you don't have that little bit of confidence, that little bit of ego, it's kind of hard to ever get started. So I think it's almost like table stakes for getting into this business. The problem is sometimes that same level of confidence, and it's not always overconfidence, but a lot of times it is. That same level of confidence is also what destroys us when we're trying to go big, when we're trying to wrap this thing up, like at every point in the journey, it's hard for us to say like, am I being confident or am I just being egotistical about something? And if we don't know the answer, I guarantee our entire staff has a very strong yeah. opinion about what that looks like. So I think it'd be kind of interesting to talk about like, what are some of the big areas as founders that we get into where our egos kind of get in the way, you know, where it kind of it starts to become an actual problem. And it's something that we need to self-assess. For sure. Yeah. No, I think you hit it on the head. And I think that there is this fine line, not necessarily fine line, there's probably a fairly wide chasm, but we seem to cross it with ease between a healthy level of confidence and what becomes really destructive arrogance, right? Both in terms of our external communication, our own internal decision-making processes and all sorts of ways that it can that it can get in the way. But to your point as well, like there is a need for it at that early stage where without some level of ego, we're not going to decide to do this, right? The meek may inherit the earth, but they rarely start startup companies, right? It just, it's not a thing that they do, right? You have to have a little bit of, you know, you have to, you have to believe you can do something that's never been done before, which requires some level of confidence, largely driven by ego in the early stages. So yeah, well, let's dig in. Where do you want to start? You want to start with the, the positive aspects of this thing and kind of why we need it and how we can cultivate it appropriately to stay in that confidence zone, or you want to just jump right over into arrogance? I, I think the problem is sometimes we don't realize our arrogance. I'll give you an example. The whole idea that I'm going to start something that has never been built before in a market that's never existed, like we talk about with a team that's never existed, and it's going to work, is a little bit arrogant by default. It's not necessarily a bad arrogance, but it's literally an unfounded assumption. Let's build on that. It's confidence without any, without any backing, right? There's nothing that should say we should be confident about this. And at the same time, we have to be confident about it. If we weren't confident that we could go do it, we wouldn't start. And ergo, nothing ever happens, right? We, we start with a fundamental assumption, a fundamental assumption, a broken one by definition, that this is a good product, this is a good team, this is a good excited, a good market, what have you. The problem is, at some point, we kind of have to believe those assumptions. Otherwise, we can't get out of bed in the morning. But that starts to turn a little bit. And then at some point, we start to treat our assumptions like they're facts. <laughs> yep. Super dangerous. Yeah. 
million years ago when I started this company called swapalease.com. The idea was we were going to allow people to list their car leases online and other people could assume them, right? Is good enough business, right? Still around. But we believed that the average price point uh, that people would pay to do this would be $29 a month. Because at the time, this is like 2000, so a very long time ago. At the time, that was like the generic price point of what people were able to charge for classifies and stuff online. So we went in with the assumption that that's fact, that that number is fact. And that's exactly what people will pay. And at some point, I was like, guys, do we really know this? Do we actually know that that's true? And it was funny. No one even thought to question it. And I said, I'm just going to go crazy here. Let's move the price to $99 and see what happens. Just test our assumption of fact. And what do you know? The same number of people would pay $99 as they would $29. And here's where that gets interesting. What if we just assume that was always the fact? What if our ego was such that we know what the price point is? You've arbitrarily cut your revenue potential by two thirds, right? Right. And that's when I started thinking, hmm, how much other stuff am I assuming is a fact just because it's one of my assumptions, right? And that wound up being like one of my greatest assets were looking at assumptions and treating them as such, or said differently, looking at what other people looked at as foregone conclusions. Like, oh, John does a great job at his job. Does he? Right? Like, compared to whom? Right. Yeah. What are we baselining that against? And again, yeah, exactly. like, we're first starting something. You said this, I think, at the last episode, and we probably said it before, but you're building a startup. Everything is a variable. Nothing is a constant. Nothing has historical data. And so, you know, if you're not constantly questioning the things that you know, because the first time you encounter something, you now know what happened that one time. You don't know that that's always going to be true. Right? It's funny. I'm well-timed. I'm listening to a book called Think Again by Adam Grant. And the entire premise is, is around, you know, being willing to question everything you think you know all the time, right? Not to stand on these things and say, well, this is what I learned uh, or this is what I knew at one point. It's probably always going to be the same. From this point forward, it's now knowledge, right? Knowledge is great as long as it stays relevant and true. But so often, especially in the startup space, these things change. And so leaning on knowledge that may no longer be accurate or relevant becomes a huge pitfall. And ego is one of the biggest reasons that we defend that knowledge. Like, no, I've been doing this for 25 years. I know this shit. Well, things have changed, right? Or how about I just don't want to be wrong? I just don't want to be wrong. I said the product should have this feature and we put it out there and no one's using it. And I just don't want to be wrong. Right. So I, I won't admit that that wasn't a good idea. Right. You know, my, my ego won't allow me to to hit the undo button or see like, you know, the forest for the trees. And, and I don't think it's always the way we tend to treat ego. We tend to treat ego like this person's such an a-hole. Right. Like, you know, it's such a bad thing. A lot of times we don't realize we're even doing it. Right. It's not that we're standing so strong. It's that it doesn't even occur to us that maybe I should rethink this. That's exactly the, the core of the problem, right? When, when we're talking about the ego and it, like its truest sense, it blocks us before we're even conscious that we're doing it, right? And that's why we have to be really, really aware, right? Like you said, like, you know, we, we talk about ego, like it's, you know, the brash, bold, you know, arrogant person. In my own case, my personal case, I find that my ego is more involved in my own internal discussions and dialogues and my own patterns of thinking than it is externalized. I tend to not be too egocentric externally, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm way too, too self-conscious to do that most of the time, unless I'm talking to myself. And then it's all over the place, right? I'm, I'm now I know this, I know, right? And my own ego beats me up, right? And it's a really tough spot to be in. But I think that that's, 
you have to be aware of these things and you have to be really careful not to fall into these really easy mental models that say, well, I know this thing, therefore I can just skip this part, this part, this part and jump ahead and start to make decisions that may be well less than optimal because I've let my ego keep me from questioning any of those things that I, I consider constants that turns out are still variables or something new and different that I just haven't been exposed to yet. I think over the years, my ego has evolved, I would say. I don't know if it's changed, it evolved because I've gotten so used to being wrong, right? Being proven <laughs> wrong at a million yes. different times. They're doing so yep. many startups for so long yep. that and we have a unique purview, you and I and the rest of the startups.com team, because we get to see everybody else's mistakes all day long as well, right? So we're kind of in this game all the time. I'm almost like the other end of the spectrum now where I'm like, I can't possibly be right, right? Like the, the, the whole idea that I can say, yes, this is what a landing page should look like. And I'm absolutely going to be right. I'm like, yeah, it's never happened in the history of history. I've never seen it happen. So I don't even consider the fact that I could be right. And I think it makes me a better founder. I think it should, unless, and so that's why when I said that's interesting, what I was, my brain jumped ahead a little bit to, okay, but then if we take that too far, then we get into this cycle of self-doubt and, right, so this goes back to like why some of that confidence is important, right? We have to be confident enough to put it out there to let it be proven wrong. I think this is, yeah, this yeah that's is a great way to put key, it, right? I think that if we don't do that, if we say like, well, look, I'm going to be completely ego-free, I'll just, I'll just assume that I'm wrong about everything, then you may not want to put anything out and, and have it be scrutinized. There was an interesting point in the book that talked about the people who were able to make the most progress kind of with just arbitrary tasks were the ones who were excited about being proven wrong, right? They actually got happy about that. And when queried on it, it was because they saw that as an opportunity to learn, right? If they were just always right about something, they felt like they were being stymied in their own growth or that they weren't moving forward and, unless they were proven wrong in some way, which gave them a chance to hone that knowledge further, expand what they knew. So I think there's there's something to that. And I think that's probably part of, you know, where you and I, as you said, you know, we've, we've been wrong so many times, we become comfortable with it and maybe even excited by it. Because once you know you're wrong, that's at least a data point, right? It, it's no longer a variable. It's now been proved that, you know, it's not what we wanted, but now we can go seek out the thing that we do. I think that the bigger danger is when we, we kind of sit in that middle ground where we're neither proving or disproving anything. We're making some assumptions, but we're not testing them and we could be right or wrong, but we're just unaware, right? And that's, that has its own danger. And I think in life, it's dangerous often to be able to challenge our egos, right? We have so much wrapped into our life decisions. I'll give you an example, right? And not to point this toward anybody, but just, just hear me out. When someone says, hey, uh, I'm Christian, I'm Jewish, I'm whatever. I'm like, cool. How many other religions did you try? Yeah, generally very few. I know a couple of people who've bopped around a little bit. You know bit, a couple of people, right? <laughs> but generally speaking, right? You know, we are very bought into that decision at the expense of any other decision. It's such a good parallel for what we talk about where we can get bought into something without trying anything else, right? We can be so sure that, that, that one thing is true because we want it to be true at the expense of everything else. And I think that there's lots and lots and lots of parts of our lives where we become invested by, by virtue of our ego in a single thing. And we get used to defending that. We get used to defending a position. In most cases, it's okay. You know, if, if that's the religion you're following and it works for you, works for you, right? Not really a consequence. This one's different. This one's different. This one, if we get so dogmatic about what we believe in, that we're unwilling to try anything else, there is an actual cost to it. There's a cost that we maybe don't bear in other aspects of our life. And I think that's a programming that's a bit hard to unwind. You know what I mean? 
For sure. Yeah. The, the, the book used a slightly different example, but with just about as much dogmatism in it, which was sports teams, right? Uh, they were using you know, Boston Red Sox fans and Yankees fans and how clearly opposed to each other they were. And kind of like to your point, well, how, how, did you ever try being a Boston fan? Do you ever try? And they're <laughs> diametrically opposed to it, right? And right. when they dug into and this is, I think this is important because this speaks to the foundations of where some of that stuff came from. When they looked into it, like it wasn't even their own ego that led them to that point. It was the collective egos of the people around them, right? They were born in Brooklyn uh, to a family of New Yorkers. And so, of course, you're going to be a Yankees fan, right? You don't even really have a choice at that point. So it wasn't that you decided to become. Uh, the other thing that was really funny about it that, that I, I thought was amusing was when both parties were queried, when they were saying like, well, you know, describe a Yankees fan to us as a Boston Red Sox. They were like, oh, they're arrogant. They're loud. They're rude. They're brash. I would never want to be like that. When you ask the Boston Red Sox fan to describe a Yankees fan, they gave exactly the same description, right? So exactly the same outcome. Comes, but it points to th this need to kind of question these things and be, be clear on where did they come from? Like, how did I develop these beliefs in the first place? Why am I so sure that I'm sure? And, and is it still serving me, right? Is there any point to this at this point? And there's, there's so many things that happen as we, we convince others. And I think if we go all the way back, like what you were saying, like when you're starting something that's never existed before, we have to have this level of enthusiasm and confidence. And we have to convince a bunch of other people that we're right in order to get the things we need to go out and even attempt to prove that we're right, right? To make sure that we can try to do this thing. We start to believe it ourselves at some point, right? It's really hard to separate the truth from the reality at that point, the, the reality from what we hope to make a reality, right? It's not, it's not truth and false. It's just, sure. There's another aspect to this. There's an aspect where we actually believe, similar to your Yankees Boston analogy, that the problem is everyone else. Mm. We genuinely believe- yep. That everyone else is breaking, it can't possibly be us. I'll give you a great example. I have a ton of girl and, and guy friends that are single and they're out in the dating world and they're on Tinder and Bumble and everything else like that. And lots of different cities, LA and San Francisco and you know, all these different places. And when we talk about the dating pool, they all say the same thing. The dating pool is awful. Bumble sucks, Tinder sucks, et cetera, right? What I never hear anyone say is I'm awful, Right. In other words, say, you know, I go on a lot of dates. I'm just terrible to date. I complain too much. I'm not really interesting at dinner, right? Like, et cetera. No one ever says that. Like the, no. the lack of self-awareness no. is absolutely... Their ego will stop that conversation before it happens. We right? think the problem is everyone else. Yeah. Right? When you talk to a founder, and we talk to a lot of them, and they're having all kinds of problems sometimes you'll get some founders. Again, I, I don't want to make this super binary. Sometimes you'll get some founders like, this is my fault. Like, I can't figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the times, you know, they say, hey, marketing is not working. And they're like, yeah, well, my marketing guy isn't getting it done or development's not working. My development guy's not getting it done. It's like, you know, like you have a hand in that, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> or if you, you don't, that that's person, also right? a problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a combination, I think. You know, it's, ego is a part of it, but it's a combination also of self-awareness Sure. Right. You know, kind of a hallmark of all of this. And it's a combination of just being able to say, what if the variable is me? Right. I'm going on 20 bad dates. Well, they're all bad. The constant there is me. You know, why aren't I the problem? And I, I think that that ability to look inward is sorely missing among people in general, but certainly for founders. And I think there's a real cost among founders. There is. And these these costs manifest in a lot of different ways. Here's another example. This is kind of a twist on what you're talking about. Let's talk about when, when it's only good dates, right? As founders, oftentimes I'm talking to people early stages 
and they're they're super excited about how excited people are about their business, right? And I always feel this need to point out to them, like they have no incentive to tell you anything otherwise in most cases, but where this really can go wrong, and this is truly an ego-driven thing, people are starting to look for co-founders, right? Or maybe they're talking to people without the anticipation of looking for a co-founder, but then somebody propositions them with it. And they'll say, yeah, and like, you know, they, they really love what we're doing. You know, they get the concept. And it's all about like them, you know, giving good feedback about the things that this founder is doing at their business, right? So they like what we're doing. They love what we're doing. They're really into what we're doing. And then I flip it and I say, okay, great. They love you. You're building a cool business. Like, why wouldn't somebody be excited about that? Why are you excited about them? And all of a sudden they're like, I have no idea. Right? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just so sad. So happy somebody loves I my love baby. them because they love me, right? That's it. That's <laughs> yeah, the yeah. one criteria. Well, that wears off pretty quickly, right? They're going to stop loving you the minute they have to start doing work and staying up all night and sweating, staring at the ceiling at four o'clock in the morning like you do, right? It's no longer as much fun at that point. Um, so you better hope that you accidentally stumbled across somebody with a great skill set that will actually do what you need them to do. So this is just another one of, I don't know, probably a thousand examples where ego can, you know, ego can deny us from finding the right answer or ego can trick us into making the wrong decision because because the ego is fed by something, right? Yep. I have a weird thing that I do and uh, I have a lot of weird things I do, but one of them when it comes to the like ego- the Chocolate Pop-Tarts for breakfast? I don't find <laughs> we it that weird. Episode on that. But one of them is whenever there's a problem uh, in my life, you know, regardless of the organization, yep. I always make it my fault. I always make the problem my fault. No matter what it is, no matter how, like no matter how much is not even my fault, I always make it my fault. Now, there's a bunch of psychologies at play. One is a control psychology, right? If I make it my fault, then I have some control over the outcome, right? And so that you know that helps me mentally get my head around it. Another piece is, as you know, I'm very empathetic. I, I tend to think how other people think, and I feel like if I can get inside their head and understand where they're coming from, then I can solve the problem. A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people are just like, hey, that person's an a-hole, so I guess that's the problem. And my, my thing is, I'm like, well, maybe I'm the a-hole. What could I have done differently? How are they thinking about it? But where this becomes a bit of a challenge is, for me, I'm always thinking the problem is me. And I'm never thinking it's actually just somebody else's fault. It's not that I can't see it. It's that I feel like, like if I don't assign blame to me, that the problem can't be solved. Like I can't rely on someone else to change behavior, et cetera. Generally speaking, that works out okay. But I also see some holes in, in that logic as well. For sure can lead you to making biased decisions, right? Which is if you assume, if you assume like this is a danger and it can go either way, right? I think ego is one of the main challenges with ego is that it leads to biased decision-making, right? If you think you're always right, that's a bias and it's gonna lead to bad decisions. If you think you're always wrong, that's a bias. So I think that, you know, starting from the approach that you're in, where you assume that, you know, you at least need to examine everything that you may have done wrong or that you could have done better is a good starting point because it, it balances things in the favor of the person that you're putting into question. But I think that you then have to work hard to assign appropriate amounts of responsibility for the outcomes on both sides. But I think, you know, if you start with, I'm always right, that's going to be really hard to get to that point. I think balancing from a point of, I'm wrong, okay, but now let's see. What else could you have done better as well in this equation? It's tough, though. I mean, like, these are, these are leadership dynamics that never become easy. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. 
That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. So if any of this sounds familiar, stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. You know, it's interesting too, because in my career, I've pretty much been a CEO for 30 years. I've always been kind of the responsible party. And I say that to say like, if I had spent 15 years, let's say of my career working at Big Co., I would have gotten very conditioned to blaming other people, to blaming the organization, to blaming my coworkers, to blaming my, you know, whatever. I kind of skipped that part. And I just always went to the part where it was my fault. And so I think maybe I'm just more conditioned to it. But when I see other people like falling down in their jobs, they're always saying, and here's where the organization fell short. Here's where somebody else did something. I rarely ever hear somebody have the self-awareness to say, man, I could have done that. And I really made a mistake, right? Even after people get let go at organizations and you say like, hey, what happened? Oh, they screwed me. Really? You got fired for nothing. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's never, you know, I might have done the, you know, I could have done better here. I could have done better there. Here's when it, yeah. And it's funny because you're absolutely right. The number of times that that's happened in my career where somebody has done that, had that level of humility, had that level of self-awareness, they stand out, right? Oh and my interestingly God. <laughs> enough, <laughs> yeah. interestingly enough, like if you look at the trajectory of those people from that point forward, most of them have gone on to do really amazing stuff. They grew because of that, right? Because they had that level of self-awareness, they could do that, right? They didn't let ego get in the way, at least at those points. And in most cases, they are, there are people who, if you watch that, that future path, it's all looked pretty good from that point forward. So huge lesson there. The, the other one I was going to say is whether you believe it or not, right? As, as the startup founder, as the CEO, whether you believe it or not, even if you want to blame everybody else, there's something that we know to be absolutely true. The buck will eventually stop with us, right? We're the ones that will bear the consequences. So whether it was our fault or somebody else's fault, at the end of the day, we bear the brunt. And that's a huge difference between being an employee or being a staff member, being you know somewhere within big co or even within a startup and being the founder, right? Ultimately, we are responsible for everything that happens. This is going back a bit, fortunately, Ryan, but like, you know, we're about to celebrate year 11 at startups.com. And I'm going to make this up like in year four or five, somewhere in between there, maybe you can remember that far back. We had, we were starting to get some toxicity within the organization, some like infighting, some what I'm going to just call general bitchiness, et cetera. And what ended up happening, which I thought was interesting, was we initially looked at it like, hey, look at what everyone's doing, look at what the organization is doing. And at some point, and I'm, and I'm proud of us for kind of taking this step, we were like, you know what? That's not on everybody else. Like, if that's, if that's happening, that is our fault. That, that, that is the, or, the organization, the leadership's fault, that we're either letting it happen or we're creating situations where it can't happen. What ended up happening back then, and it was a long time ago, is we let go of all those people. We let go of all the people that were just toxic and infighting all the time. And guess what? all went away. Never had a problem since. You know, everyone's like, oh, well, it's the organization's fault. You can't just let people go. Yeah, sometimes you can. Sometimes you can. And that's actually the problem. And it's our job to fix it. Yeah, for sure. And it's a great example. And I think that if we look back at that, and I think we did, and we did the right things, had we acted even sooner, I think we may have, we may have had to let go of less people, because there was certainly there was certainly some spread there, right? And that's, that's a huge, that's a huge part of that problem, right? If you don't take those actions at the right time, that toxicity can spread. That was an organizational fault, right? Had we done that sooner, we might have kept those people from being exposed to that and starting to fall into those same patterns. Now you can argue, if somebody was willing to fall into bad behavior, simply because somebody else was exhibiting them, were they really right for the organization? 
I don't know, right? That'd be something I can't crystal ball. Well, okay, so let's move forward. Another case, and this is toward the end of, of things, where I see founder ego at its apex, and I'm, and I'm going to blame myself for this first, is when we our ego doesn't allow us to even admit defeat. And so there's a whole spectrum here. Here's what I would say is, is the, the general case. Things are going really poorly to the point where we're pretty much just out of business. Like it didn't happen. Whatever we thought this thing was going to be, it's just not it. We've run out of money. Or, this is a you know, hypothetical case, right? <laughs> no, right? This is, this is our last episode. This, this is a weird time to tell you this, but yeah. No, but like we're at the end of days. In three or I lost count, three or four startups ago, I went through this. I'd raised a bunch of money. Things were going great for a second because they always go great at the beginning. And then things turned and we couldn't raise more money. And then we got to the point where we ran out of money and I'm still trying to raise money for like 18 months, long after everyone else had pretty much left and given up. Why didn't I leave and give up? Was I just so determined as a founder? No, that was my ego. I couldn't admit defeat. And then when we talk about this, we say there is a point where as founders, we're no longer waking up and trying to win. We're just playing to not lose. And once we were playing to just not lose, that's our ego, you know? For sure. You know, it's funny though. This happens at victory and defeat, Right. Uh, how many times have we seen a founder get to a point where there is an outcome that they could take, right? Take money off the table, sell a company, do something, right? And their ego keeps them from saying yes to that in the moment because it could be that much bigger. It could be this much. They're blind to the reality of the situation and they, don't even, they won't even accept victory, right? So I've seen this at, at both ends of the spectrum. So this happens at, at end game when, you know, you have a chance to create a great outcome, but it's not great enough, right? It, it's big, but it's not <laughs> yeah, bigger. It's I need bigger. Okay. Right. So you see it play out at both ends, right? Which is just this unwillingness to accept the circumstances and accept the reality, right? The reality right. is this is a good exit. This is maybe the best offer you're going to get. But for whatever reason, you think that it can be something very different. I think, you know, one of the keys to managing ego in, in all of this, and this is where it becomes tough as a founder, if all you're doing is kind of relying on the feedback from your own team, you're always going to temper that against the fact that they don't have as much responsibility as you do in all of this, right? And so it's sure. hard to say they will know better, right? I think this is where it becomes super important to have that peer network of other founders. It's important to have mentors and advisors, people who also feel empowered to give you that feedback because if ego is your problem, the likelihood that your team doesn't also see that and know that and feel comfortable coming to you and being like, hey, man, you know, you seem really set on this, but like all the objective evidence, but nobody's going to do that. There is no incentive for them to come to you because all they're doing, they're sticking their neck out with a very likely outcome of them becoming at best a pariah. At worst, they're out of the organization, right? So this is where you need those feedback loops that are people who feel empowered to fight your ego, right? If, if your team is rarely going to be empowered to do that, they're not going to have the tools or the confidence to fight your ego. So having somebody external to do that can really, really help. Again, you got to be willing to listen to them because I know you see this, I see this. We share stories about this all the time where you know somebody wants to talk to one of us about a challenge and instead of just giving the context for the challenge, they spend the entire time talking and we never get to give them any feedback, right? That's <laughs> ego, right? That's ego. That's them explaining to you the problem and what they want to do about it. They don't really care what your opinion is. They don't want your help. They just want to exercise the ego. Which is fine. Like, listen, you know, we all have ego. And again, that's, it's, it's our greatest strength and it's our greatest weakness at the same time. And I think that's, it's important, but there is a point, and we're talking about these at different vectors. There is a point where our ego is a massive liability. 
It's a massive liability. And the problem is, it usually goes part and parcel with our inability to recognize that liability. And sometimes it, it helps to just say to another founder, I think I'm fine, right? Like the dating analogy. I've been on a million dates, 20 dates. They know them seem to go anywhere. Just spitballing here. But could you think of any reason why I might be an issue here? And I guarantee if you give people just a little bit of slack to be able to have that conversation, <laughs> you will get a mountain of feedback, right? And the cool thing to do is shut up and listen to that feedback. Whenever I've done that, Whenever I've stopped and said, hey, I think this is where I'm supposed to be, but you know, I'm not quite there. Help me out and gave people that invitation. Actually, I'll give you a great example. Just happened last Friday. Last Friday, we have these community leader meetings within startups.com. We have all kinds of people within the community that are running workshops for us. They're running communities for us, et cetera. And we get together every Friday and we talk about the business, right? And we kind of give them an update on what's been going on. Well, last Friday, I got together with everybody. And these are all founders as well, very opinionated. And I said, here's the state of the state. What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? Right? Hit me. And they were cool about it, but they had a lot of things we needed to fix. They had a lot of things we needed to fix. And in the end, at the end of the, the meeting, I asked the, the group, who's awesome, I was like, how did I do? And one of the respondents said, you know what, Will, one of the things that I like about you is you're willing to be wrong. You're willing to say, hey, you know, here's, here's what I did. Here's why I thought it was a good idea. Help me understand where that could have been better. And she's like, because you gave me that permission, you know, in previous conversations to let me know that you were open to it, I love giving you feedback. And I thought that was so important, giving permission to be wrong. And I think it goes both ways. It's a massive, massive piece of it. I, I can't believe we actually didn't touch on permission until now. And I think that's one of those places where like the mentors and the advisors, the, you know, your, your peers are the ones who can actually give you that permission. I think that it's so hard to feel like you have permission to admit you're wrong. If you've been out pitching, you know, 180 VC meetings or something, what are the chances that you feel like you're allowed to be wrong and that there aren't consequences to that? There are. In that case, there are consequences. If you're proven wrong or somebody calls you out on something that you can't back up, you're not going to get the investment, right? And there's so many situations that are just like that, you know, maybe not one-to-one, -one, but very similar where, you know, being wrong has a real downside and, and a real consequence. So we have to put ourselves into these situations where we are given permission to be wrong, where we're able to see what the benefits of those things are in order to really move forward and feel comfortable finding that optimal balance between confidence and humility, right? Because if we don't find that balance between confidence and humility, then we fall across into that, you know, arrogance and bias. And this is where things really start to go wrong. I agree. With that said, we've had some folks that have been firing in on our chat about exactly what we're talking about now. Mike, you said that sometimes it's also about having people in your network that are supportive of different viewpoints, right? Which is what we're talking about, right? And don't make you feel stupid for changing your mind for being wrong. Mike, where have you seen that before? Like, where have you found yourself in a comfortable place where you can be wrong? It's been actually not necessarily about my business. It's been more around like politics and religion conversations yeah where like you actually like just listening to people and having a, a frank conversation about what their beliefs are whether it's political or whatever and just not and creating like a space where it's not to load up your viewpoint and kind of have it ready to fire and you're not listening to anything that's being said and then you just fire but i think we're all as we go through the the journey of starting our own companies like we are going to be wrong so many times. And if we surround ourselves with people that make us feel stupid, we're either not going to be open about that, or we're not going to want to be wrong. And we're going to dig our heels in and maybe even 
kind of push ourselves away from those groups so that we don't get told we're wrong and then we're just going to make things worse so that's kind of like how i've always looked at it is like surround you do have a choice i think to pick the people we surround ourselves with even though we might feel like we don't so you know probably don't talk to your parents about what you're doing because they're only going to tell you <laughs> the positives <laughs> That's where I've seen having other founders in the room, you know, it's kind of the reason we put together founder groups, things like that is helpful. Because to your point, Michael, I, I think one of the things that that you can't overlook is the people that are giving the feedback, it helps if you know that they know what you're going through, right? It's like Ryan and I giving a woman feedback on how tough pregnancy is. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> you kind of don't know what you're talking about, but that's cool. I think it really helps to have that context. And in many ways, that respect, you know, when you have somebody else that's gone through the same stuff that you have and is and can speak from the same place, your conversation, your engagement is way different, you know? Yeah. Well, and also like the whole point of having a mind is so that you can change it. And if you don't like have these spaces where people are like, yeah, you changed your mind. That's what's supposed to happen. If the point is wrong, you change your mind to the right decision. Like we should be just better at that as people, I think. It's a hard skill to have, right? And yes. and it also requires reciprocity, right? If Even if you have that skill, but you're sitting across the table from somebody who doesn't, you run into trouble there, right? Your point around, you know, you get to choose the people who are around you. And I would say that one of the most important decisions we make is the team, right? And then looking at those dynamics and thinking about how do their egos fall into this? I, how many times I've sat in on team meetings where I'm watching two people on the team clearly both sitting in their own echo chamber, just wanting to convince the other person of what they have decided already before coming into this, rather than thinking about how can I learn from this exchange? How can we come to an optimal decision? They're both just there with their, their built-in assumptions and they're just pushing their agenda, right? And you have to, as a leader, you gotta be the one that breaks that down, right? You gotta get your ego out of the way and you gotta help them get their egos out of the way so that you can move forward. But yeah, picking the people that you surround yourself with has so much to do with the outcomes. Yeah, you know, uh, we had another comment from uh, Reagan. Uh, Reagan said that uh, psychological safety, I thought that was interesting. Psychological safety is uh, super important for people who are peers or reports, you know, to give feedback. It's hard to find psychological safety. You know, whenever you're expressing like, hey, I might be wrong. Think of how vulnerable that is, because as CEOs, as founders, as you know, uh, leaders, we have a lot of consequence, a lot of consequence to being wrong. Yes. Right. Because because we're accountable to so many people, to customers, to team, to investors, et cetera. So being able to have that safety of being wrong is rare, you know? Basically, yeah, it's especially about like people on my team, they need to feel safe, right? If they're gonna bring something up, they're gonna criticize me or a process, they need to know any of they need to vent. Sometimes venting, right? And so if too much ego coming from me. That's not going to happen. They're not going to be comfortable. They're going to they're going to go vent to somebody else, and that's not necessarily what I want. Right, which is hard to come by because again, it's one thing to be wrong. It's another thing in the back of your mind as you're you're even admitting being wrong, being like, "Well, shit, if I'm wrong, and like this is going to put everybody's job at jeopardy, right? I don't want to share that, right? That's terrifying. If I'm wrong, and the investor is going to come and lynch me, oh, that's interesting. That's a bit of a twist on that. Yeah, yeah right? That's terrifying. So now it's like, not only is, you know, there's, there's a factor of my ego, there's a factor of, I can't even admit that I'm wrong. Because if I do, 
I'm in a dangerous spot. I'm in a really dangerous spot. You're in a dangerous spot. And you also run the risk of creating the feeling of taking away psychological safety from the people on the team, right? Now, all of a sudden, they're worried about something, right? We talked about this in other podcasts. Like, at, at what point does is transparency, you know, good or bad? Ego certainly factors into when we decide to be transparent or not. Uh, there's a secondary factor there, which is, you know, is it actually beneficial to anybody for you to be that level of transparent? Or are you just going to hurt them? It goes back to that, right? Like, we sometimes we have to be confident even when, you know, all signs are pointing towards like, yeah, we don't know this is going to work out. We have to feel like it will, right? We have to believe that it's going to go somewhere. But this is a really interesting point, Regan, about, and I'd be curious, and we can dig into this maybe another episode around how to create psychological safety, how to, you know, really open up those feedback loops, how to give people, uh, you know, peer uh, peer capability. Somebody suggested uh, a few days ago that we do an episode, maybe Will and I and the team, where we allow ourselves to be roasted live on the podcast. Talk about surrendering psychological safety. Boy, there, yeah, there would be the yeah, one. But yeah, to yeah. give people that ability to do that, right? To, if we could have people feel safe enough to actually do that, that would be a wonderful thing, right? That's the point where you know you're in the right spot with your team. I agree. I agree. With that said, I want to wrap up. You know, last point I want to make here is for all of us as founders, if we, if we actually want to grow, we have to challenge our ego. We have to. 100%. We have to. You actually, no matter how right we, you know, we think we are, no matter how right we think we are, if we're not willing to challenge our ego, there's so many paths that we never get to explore, right? If I don't challenge my ego, I'm charging 29 bucks a month for a product. I should be charging 99 bucks, right? If I don't challenge my ego, I'm stuck working with or for people that are actually terrible, right? Because I thought I made that decision. That was the right investor. That was the right teammate, et cetera. And I'm wrong and I'm afraid to admit it, right? Not challenging our ego actually winds up being one of the biggest triggers to our own failure. It's not just all about I'm right all the time and, and I run through walls. It's I'm probably wrong and I'm afraid to admit it. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly financers. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available. 